The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Rack and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is the newscast for episode 174 for the week of August 3rd, 2020. Alex, it's good to see you in person. Good to see you too, Rob. Um, we are recording in person, though, you know, appropriately distanced. And uh, and masked? Of course. Yes. I, I wear my mask everywhere I go. Well, your articulation in your mask is getting better. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, hey, why don't we jump into some housekeeping type stuff? Did you know that there is a place where you can talk to all of your favorite Colorado security people? Uh, I, I didn't think we were allowed to gather with people, Rob. How does that work? Well, there's a virtual thing. It's it's a little oh, bit it's virtual. It's a little bit like an AOL chat room, which I know is is what you usually use for your uh, communication online. So there's a uh, 2020 version of IRC that we have set up. Yeah. It's called Slack. Slack, and and if you want to get involved, you can join the over 1,500 of our favorite folks here in Colorado, uh, who are who are there actively contributing across. I don't know, dozens of different channels. Uh, that's cool. I didn't didn't realize we'd actually hit 1,500 this week. That that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, so if you want to join, go out to colorado-security.com and, and click the Slack button. That'll get you in there. And while you're on the website, uh, why don't you also join, sign up for our mailing list, and you'll get the, uh, the, the show notes in your inbox every week. Yes, um, I will send you an email once a week. That's it. Also, uh, we would love for you to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, that way you get it automatically delivered to your favorite podcast listener. Um, and then while you're there, you can rate us and let everyone else know how great the podcast is. Uh, it would be also great... If you told a friend how awesome Colorado Equals Security is and all the wonderful things that we're doing. And if you want to support us even more, we do have a Patreon campaign where you can financially support the podcast. You know, the uh, uh, I know it's been tough for all the community. Of course, we'd love your support even in the midst of the tough times as we're continuing to put out the podcast on a regular basis. Um, of course, you can find the link to that as well on colorado-security.com. And the last thing you could do to help is if you could help do some guest interviews. We've had some fantastic folks do interviews for us, both a you know, a series. We've had uh, Mary Ritz do a series for us, and Jason Jakes has done a series for us, and a couple other folks, and then just one-off interviews. And if you want to do either of those, we would love that. Yeah, that would be great. We actually have a backlog right now of interviews, Rob, which is what we aim for, but right. hasn't happened in a while. Yeah, we, we used to keep a, a good, you know, month, two months of backlog, but lately it's been, uh, it's been a little bit more difficult to come across interviews. For sure. All right, well, let's jump into the news. Uh, first story this week. Uh, Boom Supersonic, which we've talked about uh, a bunch on the show, is uh, doing a partnership with Rolls-Royce to try and determine if Rolls-Royce engines make sense for their supersonic jet. I don't I don't know much about the Rolls-Royce engine. I do know that they have sweet fenders on their cars. <laughs> if Boom could somehow get the uh, Rolls-Royce fender uh, used uh, on their on their plane, that'd be pretty awesome. Does that mean that the planes will have cool hood ornaments? Um, I can't imagine that they wouldn't have this as part of that. That'd be the winning combination here. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think in general, Rolls-Royce is a, a pretty big player in the aviation in engine industry. Um, so not surprising that, that they're partnering here. Um, and I guess I hadn't really thought about it, but my assumption was Boom Supersonic is building their own jet. They would probably build the whole thing. But, you know, it makes sense that if there is already a provider that provides engines, then uh, Boom can take their airplane frame and just put the engines on there and be good to go. So I do have to to cast a little aspersions on this. This is a press release that we picked up, by the way. Yeah. And it, what it says, once you get into it, is it says they have agreed to explore the pairing of. Right. There's actually no commitment here that they're going to work together. 
but right. they're gonna yeah. give it. They're gonna look into it. Yes, I, I think it's good for both of them. Get a little press, and you know, maybe they end up with Rolls Royce engines. Maybe I, they don't, or and maybe they end up with a Rolls Royce as like some kind of part of the bargain. So. <laughs> right, sounds good to me. That, that's where you're gonna instead of using all of their VC money to buy Rolls Royces, they're just partnering to get them for free. All right, moving on. Uh, we used to do a lot more of these articles, which basically like rate all the different cities. This week we have a couple, um, but this is talking about it's the 2020 STEM job growth index looking at a bunch of different cities where the job growth for stem jobs has been the biggest yeah i i think that they're um they're maybe stretching it a little bit in terms of where the job growth is the biggest and the factors that they're looking at here are um you know cost to operate and um you know education and other things like that I, to me it, it actually sounds more like potential stem job growth um which is also an interesting thing right places where you know, based on who uh, the population and, and who wants to go there, where STEM jobs are going to grow the most. Um, I guess, you know, the bottom line is that Denver is number three. So that, that's the thing that we care about. And we are directly behind our, our old nemesis, Austin. They are, they're number two. And, and yeah. Charlotte's number one. Um, uh, Seattle, number four. Raleigh is number five. What's interesting to me is somehow they've got San Francisco the biggest tech job hub in the in the world yeah. as number eight on the list. Like, how can that be like a top 10 grower still? That's that's just amazing if that's true. Yeah, and I think, again, it's, in my mind, it's potential, right? So they've got a lot of people. They've got, you know, people want to live there. Um, and, you know, based on the story we had last week or the week before, um, even though it is expensive there, it's not that much more expensive to run a business there than in Colorado. So I guess, you know, the numbers don't lie. All right. Uh, next article we have is is from the Colorado Sun, and it is from uh, our favorite reporter in the Colorado Sun. It's my favorite reporter, Tamara yes. Chung. Tamara, uh, if you guys remember, she previously was a, a, a reporter for the Denver Post. She's been working for the Sun for for quite a while, um, two, two years or so. This is all about – it's kind of a follow-up to the story we talked about maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago, around a lot of fraud in the um, unemployment claims within Colorado. Fraud protection? Uh, uh, well, this isn't fraud protection. This is fraud uh, discovery, right? There was a lot of new unemployment claims, but you had the ability to backdate your claims to February. Yeah. People were asking for five months worth of unemployment, and a lot of those seems like they got through. So the, the nice thing about the Sun is they don't just, you know, they're not like us where they just like find a headline and then they, they amplify it. And they're like, hey, we're done here. The Sun, they, you know, she's probably spent two weeks like really right. digging in on this. And there's a lot of actual interesting reporting in this. Yeah. Uh, so on a personal note, you know, they're talking about the uh, unemployment uh, fraud here. Someone actually filed for uh, unemployment benefits on my behalf. Um, just so everyone knows, I still have a job. I didn't file for unemployment. Did you get the money? I, I did not get the money. I got the uh, the debit card in the mail that allowed me to uh, to get the money out, but I reported it as fraud, um, which you know I think other people are having this happen to them too. One of the main points in the article is that you know based on previous breaches, a lot of people's information is out there enough that you could easily file for these kind of benefits um, on someone's behalf and potentially get the money. Um, I honestly don't know the. Um, the angle here, because like in Colorado, if you file for benefits, I think the way that you get them is through this debit card that they send you. So that, that, that comes to your house, that where comes you to taxes. my house. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how they would actually get the money out of this, but did, I, I mean, I'm not. Did you ask your kids about this <laughs> or your wife? <laughs> uh, who knows? But anyway, I mean, this is happening a lot in the, the it's mentioned in here, but also previously we had talked about the fact that there were 
uh, 6,000 claims about that were immediately marked as fraudulent in Colorado. Um, There were some stats in here that they had from like Pennsylvania and a couple other places, like almost like 60,000 claims in Pennsylvania that they marked as fraudulent, which is crazy. Maryland had 48,000. Yeah, lots of lots of states getting hit pretty heavy. They did interview the Richard Bird, who's the chief uh, customer information officer over at Ping, one of my coworkers. Um, so uh, highlighting the uh, the local security f- folks as well. Yeah, this is a great story. Um, again, I I really appreciate all the co- stuff that the Colorado Sun does. Good article. You should check it out. Uh, next, the tech job postings in Denver soared. 36% from May to June, which is the fourth highest increase in the country. Yeah, I, it's it's interesting. It's good. But, you know, May was terrible, right? Like, right. <laughs> yeah, we, we had one job post in May. <laughs> yeah. And we had 1.36 in June. So. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 is, it is good to see the improvements. I, I love that. It's just, I, I feel like it'd be better to do like a year over year comparison versus sure. you know, middle of pandemic next month you know right yeah yeah it's going to get better hopefully that i guess that maybe the point of the article is you know things are starting to recover at least somewhat yeah i mean and i would love to see if um from june to july there's also that much of an increase was yeah. was it just a blip because everyone stopped hiring um in april and may and then started a little bit again in june so i don't know we'll see we'll see hopefully we keep moving forward though um next story we have uh i'm moving over to it oh yeah we're moving over to term scout this one's interesting so they kind of start off with what I consider to be an interesting fact that when a company has to do a negotiation on a contract, even a relatively simple contract, the average uh, to review it is is uh, sixty nine hundred, almost seven thousand um, dollars. So so these guys have created a solution that, that uses you know, part AI and part lawyer to do reviews for you, you know, very quickly and very inexpensively. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I've seen several startups that are kind of in this space where. It seems like lawyers, um, at least many of the things that lawyers do, um, are going to be outsourced pretty soon. You know, contract review and you know, simple things like that. Yeah. I don't want to say simple; it, it, it's it is complex, but repetitive, it's uh, repetitive is probably a better word. Um, where a computer can figure out the same things that people can uh, figure out. I know that there was some study a little while ago where somebody's AI looked at a bunch of contracts, and they had lawyers look at a bunch of contracts and. Obviously, the lawyers took a lot longer, and um, I think they made more mistakes than the right. than the computers did. One of the things that I thought was cool in this that the announcement here is that they they got some more funding. Term Scout did, but they're they're talking about the fact that uh, one of the things that they're going to be doing soon is looking at privacy and security clauses in contracts, which obviously is something that is important to us. Yeah, it's pretty exciting stuff. So they, they've now raised one point six million. They call it a seed round. So they're just getting started. Uh, I, I really like the fact that they're doing that combination of AI and people. I think that just going to AI in the short term is probably not going to solve enough problems and you're going to get too much pushback. Having you know a few lawyers on the back end to, to go through whatever the AI identifies is kind of sticky. That's probably a good model. Yeah, it's good to have people review too because you don't want that AI sticking in any clauses in there that uh, say – you know, AI gets, uh, you know, contractual rights and, and things like that, right? AI now owns humanity. <laughs> right. Thank you very much for your, your work, Term Scout. <laughs> the contract says it right here. Uh, anyway, uh, next, uh, we're going to start with the uh, security uh, stories for this week. Uh, Logarithm uh, had a blog talking about five ways to alleviate stress on so, security teams. So the five ways, number one, uh, and I think this is a fantastic one, gain support and alignment from the executive board on the objectives of the security program and the value it provides. 
It reduces, yeah. it reduces a lot of stress when the the highest level leaders in your organization, the board of directors or your leadership team, are supportive of what you're doing and, and really know what your priorities are. Yeah, and I think that that's where a lot of the stress and anxiety comes from, right? Is you, you don't know if you have support. You don't know what's going to happen next. So maybe you're going to be fired tomorrow because uh, people don't agree with what you're doing, that yeah, kind of thing. I, I think a lot of our stress comes from conflicting priorities between security and other departments. And getting, just to be clear, getting support from the board doesn't mean you're not going to have those conflicts, right. but, but it does mean you're going you're, you're gonna to know that you can get those resolved if it gets escalated. Uh, second is create a solid plan for your security operations center. Uh, that's a good one, being able to react quickly when things do happen. Well, everyone has to react quickly, but do you know what to do, right? Is it a fire drill that you've practiced or is it you know, learning on the fly? I think that's, that's really good. The third one is to make a plan to recruit and hire for skilled security talent to build a strong team. Yeah, I mean, that, that's good, good people makes a big difference. Yeah. Uh, next, um, on the other side, if you are a part of a board or executive team, uh, do what you can to set your cybersecurity program up, up for success. Uh, kind of like uh, number one, but sort of the opposite side of that. Yeah. So I guess you, we need to send this one over to our board, right? <laughs> Look, it says, <laughs> support me, please. Lo logarithm told me to. Uh, and then number five, know that security is everyone's responsibility sit back and drink a pina colada. It doesn't say that last part, but it, it, I, think, I feel like it should with that. I think it should too. All right, good stuff from Logarithm. Uh, next, we had a blog from uh, Red Canary talking about how to break into InfoSec and learning new skills uh, while using the Atomic Red Team. Yeah, you know, this is a Red Canary uh, blog, but it's really an Atomic Red Team blog. And this is one way that they're really giving back to the community. The Atomic Red Team was a way for them to create atomic, you know, discrete tests to around the specific areas of your security program and your controls. Um, and they're, they basically kind of, there's been just a huge amount of support around this as you know, in the past we've seen like pen test frameworks, but we haven't really seen a defense testing framework like this. Um, and they're using this to, to build out a, a really nice network of tests. And, and now the cool thing is this next step is taking those tests and taking this framework and turning it into a way for folks to get trained up, to become new defenders, new security professionals. Yep. So the first thing in, in the blog is that you can gain experience uh, in development, which will help you by being a contributor. Yeah, and of course, you're going to learn how to how to use the tools and the technology just by getting in there. Um, the familiarity with you know, things like Power, PowerShell, the, the, the different endpoint protection technologies you're using, that's going to be big as you get into your career as well. It's going to help you uh, hone your analytical skills because uh, as you do these tests, you're going to figure, have to figure out what happened during the test uh, to see uh, if it was successful, how you, it was attacking you, that kind of thing. You're going to uh, build out your network, network with other professionals. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so definitely some good things there, and uh, we love the Atomic Red team. Please go uh, contribute and support. All right, moving over. Webroot had a blog post this week, um, the changing face of phishing. How how one of the most common attacks is changing over time, and and this this is you know Webroot they really are, are more of a consumer business, and this is more kind of for those who don't know so much about phishing, and, and maybe a way for you to introduce to your less technical friends uh, what the different elements of phishing are. Yeah, and I would say um, this is probably not breaking news for any of us that are in the security industry. Um, you know, they're talking about. Uh, Spear phishing and SMS phishing, business email compromise, stuff like that. Um, so it, it's things that are that we have in the industry have seen happening, um, but you know those outside might not have have been experienced or know enough about yet. I do have one part in here. I was I was curious about. They call it search engine phishing, where they'll they'll buy ads for yeah something that maybe isn't them. So you'll click on a you know a, a semantic ad and it'll take you to their malware. Um, is that phishing? 
don't know, click jacking, yeah. is it? Yeah, I, I, I don't yeah. know. Is that fishing? I don't know. It's. Uh, I suppose you could lump it into fishing, um, or you it could be. I don't know. I don't know what the the technical term for that is, but uh, it, in the end, it's bad things for people, right? So, so it's all bad things for people. <laughs> it's all fishing. We're all, it's fishing, all fishing now. All right. That's it. Everything uh, bad is fishing. So, so did we, all right, I'll, I'll keep moving on. <laughs> uh, we have a blog post for Ping Identity this week, and this is kind of continuing on their theme around building a great user experience, uh, customer experience. And I, and, I, and I I call this out with, you know, we have lots of articles that we can choose from. I try try and pick some stuff that is maybe different than what we're going to see in, in other articles and what we've been seeing in the past. I really think that as a security folks, we don't spend enough time thinking about user experience. And this is a a nice way for you to get introduced to the idea that, hey, we're responsible for creating a good user experience identity, and which is often a part of security, um, can help make that better. Yeah, and this is really looking at sort of uh, digital transformation. If you are going that route, um, what is it that you should look for? <clears throat> Not necessarily from a security perspective, but um, you know, metrics that might help you uh, around that in general. And again, to your point, Rob, knowing that as a security person helps, you know, to helps you to understand where you can inject security in that process. Um, and of course, you know, one of the things that is important is uh, customer identity to make sure you know who your customers are to make sure that you're, you're keeping secure. Yeah, good stuff. I recommend taking a look at that article if you might be able to help out with your customer's experience. And then our final blog this week is from Zavilu. Uh, looking at the TTP of living off the land at scale. So they're doing a series of looking at different kinds of TTPs, which is tips, tactic, or no, tricks, tactics, and proto tools. Oh, tools, tools, tactics, and yeah, whatever. What's the P? It's uh, tactic, technique, and procedure is Holy what they spoke. What they what they what describe TTP right is. All right, my bad. Um, anyway, they're they're doing a series where they're looking at different TTPs and uh, how bad guys do stuff. That's how what bad, it, yeah, <laughs> is yeah. a TTP. Um, and so this is living off the land at scale. And really this is about, Hey, when you get into an environment, you're not going to, you know, try and download all your own tools onto, onto the laptop. So all of a sudden our, our we have signatures firing because someone just, you know, opened a, a Kali Linux image on their windows machine. It's using what's already there, right? So the, the, the scripting and the remote management tools that are already in the environment as the way for you to, to move around. So you don't set off so many alarms. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. One of the things that they're talking about here. Um, and I totally think about it the same way that you do. They're actually talking uh, in addition about using sort of uh, web services that people can sort of hijack um, and live off the land that way, like, um, you know, Microsoft forms or other things like that, where you can not put up your own phishing sites, but use what seem to be trusted sites mm. uh, for things like that as well. So interesting blog post. All right. That is it for the end of, for our news stories this week. Let's go ahead and jump over to the Slack message of the week. Big thanks to Andre Gaeta, who has been a reliable, loyal supporter of the podcast. Um, Andre uh, recognizes one person each week who's contributed to the, uh, the conversation there in Slack. Yeah. Thanks, Andre. Uh, so the winner this week is Justin L., uh, for posting an article on a Kickstarter for a Tamagotchi for hackers. So, I mean... I never actually had a Tamagotchi growing up. Yeah, was it 20 years ago? What, Something like years that. Ago, those things were the little animals that you had. It was like a little pocket held. Well, basically like a, a, like a, like a phone, except for all it did was play this one game, Tamagotchi. Right. Right. And you had to hit the feed button every once in a while or your thing would die. Right. It was a living, living in quotes thing yeah. on your, your little. So there's a Tamagotchi fob. for, for hacking and, and learning how to, how to do pen testing. Um, you know, the gamification of it and the social elements I think will be popular and, and hopefully uh, there's, there's some levels of success there. 
Yeah, pretty cool. So Justin gets to pick one item from the Colorado Equal Security Store. We'll send a note over to him, and hopefully he gets something sweet with the new logo. Awesome. Well, let's move over to events. Uh, we only have a few events this week. It seems like things have been slowing down um, through July, end of July and, and August. Um, and I say that we are in August now, Rob. It's hard to believe. It is amazing. Uh, that it's not still March. Um, but we, we've got a couple events coming up. March the 5th. We're the 5th March right now. Right. March the 5th. Yeah. March the 387th yeah. or something like that. Um, uh, Colorado Springs ISSA is doing their August online series, session one, on the 6th of August. On the 13th, SecureSet is doing a cybersecurity capture the flag for all levels. Of course, it's a virtual event. And also on the 13th, uh, the Northern Colorado ISSA chapter is doing their August chapter meeting. All right. Jumping over to jobs, we, we like to find jobs that we think are interesting and will be uh, will be uh, kind of an interest for all of those listening. Alex did a good job finding some interesting jobs this week. Starting off with a job at Wells Fargo, they're hiring an, a head of Insider Threat Program. Um, this is a business functional manager three. Yes. Level. I, I love the big companies where even when they give it a different name, they still have to make sure that they put in whatever the like the official HR title is too. Right, I know. Uh, we have a couple jobs from Comcast because I thought that these were pretty interesting. They're hiring a senior director of governance, risk, and compliance, uh, which to me sounds fun. To other people might sound awful. Yeah. And then also they are hiring a senior director of product management for hosted cybersecurity, which I thought sounded really cool. This is, you know, for the Comcast business services, their hosted MSS kind of services for that. So you could help design those products. Yeah. Honestly, both of those jobs sound really good. And of course, they're, they're both uh, able to be hired here in Colorado where they have a pretty good size IT function. So pretty good stuff. Uh, next, there's a position at Coal Fire, yet another pretty cool job. The uh, I said Coal Fire. I meant you did. Carbon Black. One of those C's. Uh, Carbon Black is hiring a director of product security. Um, and this role could be here in Colorado or, or Boston, or I think there was like two other places, but we're on the short list. Nice. Uh, CoBank is looking for a senior manager of identity and access management. Another good job working with Stanton over there. Uh, the Super Credit Union, and this is super like King Super, S-O-O-P-E-R, so. is hiring an information technology manager. Valentium is looking for a medical device cybersecurity engineer. So if you want to hack pacemakers or who knows what. Direct Defense is hiring a senior security analyst. Praetorian is looking for a staff security engineer. And Praetorian is one of those like uh, pen testing firms, kind of a yeah. one of the more uh, boutique pen testing firms. Uh, and finally, Front Door is hiring a security engineering intern. And Front Door, we actually were just talking about one of our old uh, ISSA board members, Marlene Viem, is is the uh, head of, well, is the director of security over there. And hopefully, this is working with her at Front Door. Good stuff. All right. Well, that is it for the news. Uh, we do have an interview this week, though, right? You sat down with Ed Fuller. I did. Uh, had a chat with Ed, um, former boss of mine at, at Kaiser Permanente. He's gone on to do some other things as well. So long history and security, and uh, we had an interesting conversation. Awesome. Well, looking forward to hearing that. Alex, thanks for your time, and we'll talk to everyone again next week. Thanks, Rob. This is James Carter, CISO at Logarithm. This is Colorado Equals Security for Colorado Security Professionals by Colorado Security Professionals. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. Uh, this is our feature interview, and today I have a very special guest, Ed Fuller. Welcome, Ed. Welcome. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me. I've been looking forward to it, listening to a lot of the podcasts, so interested to see where our conversation goes. <laughs> 
Awesome. Um, well, obviously, uh, I know you, Ed, because sure. at one time I worked for you. Sure. Um, but I'm guessing that many of the people out there don't. So uh, why don't you give a little background on you and uh, where you came from, uh, how, yeah. you, how you got started, things like that. Excellent. So uh, it all started, I joined the Navy and was in for 21 years. And um, really my love of IT started uh, back in 89 when we got our first 8086 onboard ship. Nice. And it was a dual floppy. It was really cool, had a lot of fun, and then was excited to get my first five meg hard drive. And uh, my first IT project uh, was in the Navy where I was at uh, Naval Air Station Dallas setting up um, Texas Law Enforcement Telecommunication System and the National Crime Information Computer um, Interface with the Navy base there okay. with those two entities. And so uh, it was fun learning inside, outside plant. It was fun learning. Uh, I'd never done project management before, so it was kind of like flying by the seat of my pants, if you yeah. will. So it was a lot of fun. But uh, that's kind of where my IT career started. And uh, after the Navy is when I really started coming into cybersecurity and kind of what I do now. Um, went to work uh, consulting with a boutique company um, here in Denver um, and just auditing different government entities because I was familiar with, of course, NIST and DITSCAP, DICAP, and truly enjoyed that. And I'll never forget my first audit um, was uh, NASA. They were going through their initial uh, NIST certification. And so went out to Alabama to that facility out there and was going to do backbone and firewalls. I'm like, I got this. I understand Cisco, done it before, Yeah. you know, looking forward to it, excited, all dressed up in a suit. <clears throat> Walk into a room, um, a large room that could probably seat 100 people, and I got a little intimidated. <laughs> and then people started filing in, 10, 20, and there was like 30 people when it all said and done. And we're all just sitting around, casual chit-chat, and I'm thinking, should we get started with this? And then this guy walks in, about six foot five, looked like he had just walked off stage from ZZ Top. <laughs> Leather jacket, long ponytail, and he says, I guess I'm here for some interview. And a suit walked up and said, yeah, you know, they're here to, to do our NIST certification. And um, so he sits down with me and he goes, well, what do you want to know? I said, well, let's talk about firewalls. And he says, well, I helped Cisco build the first one. What do you want to know? <laughs> Holy crud. Needless to say, I didn't go too deep there. <laughs> Just enough to, you know, complete right. the assessment. But that was kind of my introduction into it. It was kind of, uh, it was very intimidating. And I didn't want to go down a path of conversation where I uh, didn't want to be. Yeah. Well, what I want to know, though, is... Did NASA end up getting accredited? Oh, did, yeah. Did you, you passed them? Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, with a guy like that, you know, protecting uh, NASA's backbone and firewalls, it was, uh, it was quite interesting. Interesting facility just to see their SOC and the operations going on. And, uh, and I was actually there when the shuttle was up. Oh, cool. <clears throat> yeah, so it was really neat to see. So did no live testing at that time. <laughs> no, I, I'd imagine not. <laughs> Obviously. Did you get to go into uh, like any of the operations, see mission control kind of stuff? That none, none of that no, kind of they, wouldn't no they wouldn't let you in there? No, no, didn't have clearance for that. But we yeah. did uh, go into uh, the backup center where they had all the TVs running so you could see what was going on and you could see the network controls and the software that they had monitoring everything uh, yeah. in case kind of a disaster recovery site. So. Yeah, it was fun. 
did they have um, <clears throat> so not too long ago I watched uh, Hidden Figures okay you yeah know, the, the movie where they yep. are they bring in the big IBM mainframe to calculate the trajectories and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, and the people can still do it better and things like that. Anyway, so d did they still have the, you know, big iron in the, in the back doing doing the calculations, trying to figure out which way the, the shuttle was supposed to go and stuff like that? You know, I, I imagine there was something to do with that. I yeah. did walk by uh, one of their data centers that was on-prem and it was massive. It was just rows and rows of cabinets and cabinets and Everything, of course, locked down. It was a, had a man trap in there. And so it's one of those visual inspections. Of course, they're not going to let you go in there right. and stuff like that. But it was just, uh, yeah, I watched that same movie, and that was pretty interesting to see an entire room for one computer, and now they've got all of that in one little box. Well, so. my, my watch probably has more computer power I, I, it than It definitely does. Now. <laughs> it definitely does. Yeah. Um, so I, I'd imagine you did that uh, consulting for a little while. Where'd you go after that? So after that, um, I really enjoyed uh, the lady I was working with, but she needed to fill um, a job uh, for Raytheon Polar Services. And they had the, na uh, the main contract for the National Science Foundation. <clears throat> and that's where I met uh, two engineers uh, there that uh, I still work with today, Garrett Pageant being one of them. He's one of my pen testers. He has his own company now. Um, so we worked there together and really enjoyed that. Uh, that contract was coming up for renewal, so I started looking, and that's how I moved on to uh, Bank of America, where I had, uh, of course, more experience in NIST and implementing those controls. And so this was the time of the mortgage industry bust, and that's where Bank of America had bought all these loans from Ginny Mae and Fannie Mae. And so they had to start meeting government standards. And so I went into Bank of America, hired some guys to go in with me and we set up and did the first commercial bank NIST certification of their mortgage environment. And so that was, uh, that was a lot of fun for about three and a half years. That sounds exciting, but it doesn't sound as exciting as supporting folks at the South Pole. <laughs> no, um, it doesn't. <laughs> did, you glossed over that part, Ed. I did, I did. I kind of glossed over that. Did, did, Actually, you ever, did you ever get to go deploy to South Pole? I did. It was a lot of fun. I went down twice. The first time, um, they were doing an inspector general audit, and they had uh, invested a couple million dollars in facilities down in McMurdo, which is the, the southern part um, of uh, Antarctica. And so we had to fly in there, and it was a 20-hour flight, flight time, <clears throat> going from here to LAX to Christchurch. And the last leg from Christchurch to McMurdo was on a C-130, and it was pretty loud in a jump seat. I can imagine. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It really wasn't. I don't think they build those for comfort. <laughs> no, they don't. They absolutely don't. And it was interesting because the auditor that was with me was, I felt sorry for the guy. He was in his early 60s, and this was kind of a, a glory trip for him to go down, see the South Pole, but he yeah. paid the price, just not in flight time and jet lag, but just uh, the, uh, the air was a little thin for him. Yeah. When we actually got to South Pole, and it was the high of five degrees for all of about maybe 15 minutes, and uh, wind chill kicked up, and yeah, it was, it was pretty brutal. But it was a it was a fun trip. It was memorable going down there. Uh, that was along the same time that they were commissioning the new South Pole station, and uh, this was around 2007, 2008 timeframe, and it was a lot of fun to go down 
being in the Navy and, and understanding commissionings, they did a challenge coin mm -hmm. for that. And a lot of people then, they weren't really as familiar with challenge coins are as they are maybe today. Right. And so we got a challenge coin for that and it was a lot of fun. So That's pretty cool. It was. How long did you get to stay down there? Um, I would go down for like two or three weeks at a time. I had uh, people on my team that would go down and conduct the NIST audits and NIST reviews and gathering evidence, that sort of thing, and doing security awareness training. Um, because at the time, believe it or not, they had a 256K baud modem. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, by the time I left uh, Raytheon, they had uh, improved to a one megalon. Well, that's you know, a pretty big improvement. It was a big improvement. And, um, but they used three satellites as they would all come in. Um, so you'd be doing downloads and they'd pause. Next satellite come and yeah. they'd pick it up. So uh, it was a lot of fun. They, one of the memorable moments down there for me, the second trip uh, that I went down is I liked road biking. And uh, so there was two other guys that liked to road bike as well. And they said, hey, let's get the uh, Antarctica cycling team together. <laughs> and I'm like, there's not one. Right. And he pulls out a jersey and he goes, there is one now. <laughs> so we all put on our jerseys yeah. and we're riding, uh, not road bikes, of course, because um, down in McMurdo, it's a, it's a cross between a mining town and a college town. Okay. And the, the ground, the, the surface is uh, volcanic rock. Mm -hmm. So we had big cruisers with big fat tires and yeah. we're cruising around town, McMurdo town. So I, I bet now they've got the, the big fat boy mountain bikes. Oh, with, absolutely. With the, with the giant tires. I, I bet they do. And I bet they're having a lot of fun because there's, there's actually, if you had those bikes, then um, there's a lot of uh, single track lines that you could, yeah. you know, ride up there so i bet they're having a lot of fun don't fall though and <laughs> fog, <laughs> on a volcanic rock road rash on volcanic rock, oh that, absolutely that absolutely. would be awful <clears throat> so from there let's let's skip over the bank and the bank was fun but it was just um implementing a program was fun and having success at that yeah. was a lot of fun but from there um i had the opportunity to go to kaiser permanente and set up a risk team and you and a bunch of other people had a great time um, putting in and implementing controls and processes that uh, they're still using today and um, enjoyed that time. And from there transitioned, I'd had experience with a lot of large companies. You know, you're going from government to Raytheon to Bank of America to Kaiser. And so I really wanted to try something different. And so I went to a startup. Yeah. And uh, went to CyberGRX. Yep. Local company. I think many people probably know CyberGRX. Yep. And won a lot of awards. Great platform. Uh, Third-party risk assessments. And so I worked with uh, a team of uh, four or five people. And we developed risk criteria and evidence criteria and kind of got that off the ground. And um, they ran into some hard times and got laid off there. But <clears throat> that landed me where I'm at today, where I'm really having uh, a really good time at Cloud Elements, where we're an API integration company. And um, my entry point there, they didn't have a security team. They had a guy that would implement CIS benchmarks on security groups mm -hmm. um, when he remembered. Right. And uh, they, uh, believe it or not, the if you want to call it the security person, was the uh, HR director. Mm. Yeah, and uh, so that was that was quite interesting. So, but uh, the whole purpose there was helping them get through their ISO twenty seven thousand audit, and uh, that was a an eye opening 
for them, understanding everything they got to do. And for the first two months, it was, who's the guy in the corner with his headphones on? Right. Because they, I, I, they, uh, they didn't have a town hall. I came right in the middle of their town hall because I met every, every other month. Okay. So they introduced all the new employees at the town hall. Well, I had yeah. come right after that. And uh, so, needless to say, I was the guy in the corner yeah. writing policies, procedures, setting up testing and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I mean, that, I'm sure that was an interesting experience if you're coming in basically with nothing in place. Right. And, <clears throat> I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever tried to get ISO 27000 certified, but it's not, uh, it's a high bar. It, there, it's not trivial to do that, right? right. So, uh, you know, ISO is a pretty <clears throat> tough, tough standard, and then, you know, following it is one thing, but actually getting certified... Uh, is another thing, you know, showing that you've got everything documented, showing that you're actually doing it. That, that's a lot of work. It, it was. And it was uh, myself and two contractors and a couple of engineers taking all of the policies and procedures that we drafted. It's you're going from that test of design and now you're going to test of effectiveness. Right. Are you doing what you say you're doing, essentially? And, and so we were for two and a half months gathering evidence and screenshots and building the business case and meanwhile preparing for that ultimate because we didn't we didn't have a choice we had contracts that required it you know yep. prospects that are saying hey in, in order for us to do business with cloud elements we got to make sure we do this right yep. and so yeah it was um and this was my entry into really understanding and diving deep into cloud and cloud security um, really Understanding on-prem, but on-prem is different than the cloud. Uh, working with the various providers where you've got to understand what they're doing and then how we're implementing our applications in the infrastructure. And so it was, it was very challenging. It was fun. Um, still researching today just because it's, it's an ever-changing ecosystem sure. that you're having to do. Yeah, and I mean, I think that the the startup part of it is always interesting too. You know, you mentioned coming in that you know they had you know sort of half of a guy that or part of a guy that was maybe doing security sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even companies that are security companies or that that play a critical role. I mean, you know, API integration. Obviously, you're going to think, oh, we need to have some security you there. Think? <laughs> um, but just you know, the, the startup mentality is that yeah. like, hey, we got to get this thing going. Yeah. And, you know, security is usually one of those things that suffers because, you you know, you, if you don't have a product, it doesn't matter if you're securing it or not, right? Well, you, absolutely. You, get, you got to make sure that you can you do the business side of it or else, you know, it doesn't matter if you can secure it. Oh, a absolutely. And so it, just laying out policies and procedures was one thing, but then it's training everybody to use what was developed. And yeah. that was the challenge, right? You're going to an engineering team, like you said, that's, We've got customer demands that we got to meet. We're not here to meet security and compliance. Right. Yeah, we'll get to that on the second Tuesday of next week. Right. You know, and so um, trying to build uh, rapport with the engineers. It wasn't my first interactions besides the DevOps team was not, hey, let's talk about ISO. Hey, let's talk about security. It was having lunch. It was having a beer. It was getting to know these guys where they would trust and um, have a relationship. And I think that's where the success, the success came from, was building that relationship 
with the, the application teams, the engineering teams, and the infrastructure teams. You've been, you've, you've been at large companies, you've been mm -hmm. at small companies. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you know, most of the time you've come in, there's already been something in place. I mean, even at, at Kaiser where we were building something, sure. th there was stuff in place. Totally was. Um, did you find it uh, easier or harder at Cloud Elements where basically you had a blank slate, right? You're coming in, you're sort of starting from scratch mm -hmm. and you're, you're trying to, to get ramped up super quickly. You know, that. It, let me just start off by saying it was fun and I enjoyed the challenge. And here's why. If I go all the way back to when I started at Raytheon, um, I walked in, I had six people on my team. We went to lunch my first day and one of my engineers said, I'm resigning today, welcome aboard, goodbye. <laughs> so I had two out of six. And so from that point, that was a turnaround situation, but I learned so much in understanding what, just what the team, I had to be more involved in my team and caring for them. I knew all the technical and security and all that, but it was really about carrying the team. And I took those experiences of all the different places to cloud elements and I'm like, okay, as all of us know, you walk in, you've got to clean up somebody else's best effort. We're here, it was brand new. Yeah. So it's like, wow, okay, I'm gonna do this right so that the next person that comes behind me won't say, what the heck was this guy thinking, right? That's what you, at least I right. hear that, right? right? I wanna always try to do my very best. And so it's been thinking of um, the perspective of, of what, how would I wanna walk into it? You know, if I wanna turnkey, if I wanna walk into that Cadillac or that nice, BMW, whatever it is, yeah. you don't want to have to replace the seats, replace the steering wheel, replace all this cosmetic stuff besides the engine. You hope the engine, right? The engine being all the technical security that you've got going on. And so that was fun too. It was, you know, as a startup, you don't have an unlimited budget. So you're having to really do more with less, literally. And so it was being creative and looking at cloud native security tools, um, tools that you could implement. A lot of customization, a lot of time. It's not just right. plug and play sort of thing. So it's been, it's really a lot of fun. It still is today. Yeah. Yeah, I always have this uh, this fear doing that, coming in and, and sort of starting something. Um, I haven't had very many opportunities to start from scratch, but you know, one basically, one, one or two. And mm -hmm. um, But it's um, making sure you think through the decisions you're making when you make them, because I always have this feeling like, okay, if I make this decision now, maybe it's the right decision now, but next yes. year, yes. two years from now, you know, five, am I gonna regret that we we chose this as the starting point, right? Right, exactly. Uh, and so that always is in the back of my head when I'm, I'm doing stuff too. It, it, so. was, it was great, I, I walked into a, um, an all Mac shop Mm -hmm. which was great. I didn't have to deal with Microsoft Tuesday, you know, yep. all the updates and all the scanning and testing, regression testing and all that. Um, so that was my one blessing. And I think that's, that's the one thing those guys did is uh, two things they did. One, they, they had all their business and administration and then they air gapped the production environment that all of our customer uses. And so, in that regard, they actually set me up for success yeah. because I didn't have to do that split. Right. 
And so it was really good uh, in that regard. And I think that's, as I talk to other practitioners, that um, that's kind of an ultimate goal, right? That you don't have to worry about that phishing email corrupting and bringing down the entire platform because they don't have access to that platform. Right. You know, and there's three different layers in our environment that you've got to go through before you even get to that that production environment. So um, it's been fun. It's, um, you always think about the tools that you're implementing and the processes that you're implementing. You know, and I, I go to you and your partner in crime um, bounce ideas off in our Slack channel, yeah. um, cloud security Slack channel, and uh, just, hey guys, what do you think about this? What about that? Because you need to make sure you're thinking about it correctly. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, that was definitely a blessing that they segmented things off, because anytime you're talking about uh, compliance or audits and stuff too, it's all about scoping, right? And, you know, you come into a, some sort of legacy environment where you know you're trying to get compliance someplace, but then you realize, oh well, the, you know this legacy system over here is actually tied into the stuff that I'm trying to segment off, and <laughs> yeah. um, you know it's absolutely impossible for me to segment out all the things that I want to to get my my scope down. So, you know, hard enough doing ISO 27000 compliance, but if you couldn't have segmented and scoped that stuff you know, into its own, I can't imagine how hard that would have been. So. No, you're absolutely right. In fact, the, even when the auditors came in, um, they looked at my scope statement and they were like, where's the rest of the business? Right. No, just focus on this right. square, this box, if you will. And um, it, it's kind of funny because Cloud Elements, our offices are split by a hallway. On one side of the hallway, you have all the sales administration, and then on the other side, you have all your development application engineers and whatnot. And I said, think of it like that. And so I, that visual analogy for the auditors yeah. made it clear for them that they're over there and we're over here. So yeah. it was good. So uh, you've had a long career. You've yeah. been in many different verticals, many different <clears throat> size organizations. What's uh, what's something that you've learned along the way that uh, you think would be of, of interest to people? You something know, helpful, if hopefully. I had, um, if I'm sitting down and I'm talking with a new engineer, a new security individual that's aspiring to work in security or compliance, whatnot, um, the the biggest thing that I would tell them is your relationships are key um, and understanding how to navigate the murky waters that you're going to run into with those relationships, whether it's your peers, whether it's people in your department, outside your department, it's having to understand how to be kind. Compliance and security don't need to be a billy club. You know, yeah. when, when I was first coming up, it was the, the compliance security billy club. If you don't do this, we're going to fail. If you don't, you know, the fear, Yep. that you're trying to put into people. And so I, I think people understand deep down, just because of today's environment, they understand we got to protect stuff. They understand you got to protect customer data. You don't write your password on a sticky and put it under your laptop or your keyboard, something like that, like they used to do. Um, and I think it's it, relationships is one, and then really studying your craft. It's really understanding we're never going to know everything 
but be good at something. Yeah. You know, whether it's security, when I tell people, oh, I, I work in, um, depending on the audience, I work in IT and cybersecurity. Oh, can you fix my laptop? You know, you've right. heard of those. Um, and just understanding your limitations. I'm not good at that, but I know that somebody that does. Yep. And I think that's, those are the two things that I would do and just enjoy what you do. It's not, if there's one thing the military taught me, for the most part, what we do is not life and death. Yeah. And if you just keep it in perspective and enjoy and have fun, it'll be good. Yeah, well, when you're in an area where there are certain times where things are life and death, then you can, I think it's easy to parse out everything else and totally. say, all right, everything else, this isn't quite as important. The, the life and death stuff, that's important. And uh, I, I think that carries over to, uh, to information security too, right? So it, it does. It's uh, maybe not life and death. You know, maybe if you're in, in healthcare, there, there could be some life and could death be. stuff in could there. Um, but Mission obviously, critical systems, environments, and things. It just there, there are some. There's stuff that's important. Yeah. And then, then there's everything else. Yeah. And uh, I think understanding that is is always helpful too. I, I think it's. You're right. It doesn't need to be overly complicated. I think, you know, as we look at ISO, we implemented the clauses, and I think it was 215 controls. And there's maybe one or two controls that if if I had to only implement those, that's you know. The, the few that I would do. Right. Um, and I think it's just simplifying it, not oversimplifying it, but understanding and to a degree prioritizing. So yeah. it's sure. good. So uh, you, you mentioned a little bit earlier, um, you like to you like to bike. I do. Uh, tell me about your biking and, and what other stuff do you like to do? Oh, goodness. I, I love road biking. When I retired from the military, the, uh, the doctor told me, you know, all the running you've done for 21 years, <laughs> you've taken a toll on your knees and ankles, try something new. So um, a buddy of mine said, hey, here's my, uh, I'm not using this road bike anymore. You can use it. And I really enjoyed it. I could go out, put my headphones on, listen to a podcast, listen to music, whatever the case may be, and just have some chill time for an hour or two. And that kind of led to um, riding probably anywhere from three to probably 600 miles from March to um, essentially September-ish time frame. Yeah. Uh, enjoy it, go out. And um, I think the, the pinnacle for me, I've got buddies that are like, hey, come do this ride, come do this ride. But uh, mine is the Copper Triangle. It's 80 miles, about 6,900 feet climbing and uh, enjoy it. It's like when I get done after that six hours of writing, I look forward to that nice cold beverage. Right. Waiting at the end. <laughs> do you ever do you ever do any tours or you know uh, triple bypass or you know, any, any of that kind of stuff? Well, the, the triple is uh, 120-ish miles and um, almost 10,000 feet climbing, and so yeah. this this guy doesn't bite that. No that's, no, that's too much. That's too much for me. I, I like to enjoy it. I don't, I know there's some friends of mine that um, they'll do the triple bypass twice in one day. Oof. And um, they're just workhorses. And just, you know, when I turn a corner um, and I see a 12% incline, 
it's just cringe, you know, <laughs> especially when you're about 30, 40 miles in. But no, they're, they're, uh, the rides are fun. My, my father-in-law did um, ride the Rockies, which is yeah. 500 miles in six days. And so he did that for a few years. And so um, he's kind of done doing those long distance. But we want to kind of do some of the other ones like the Elephant Rock. And um, oh, there's another one that goes through wine country. But just enjoying those types of rides, more riding for enjoyment. But when I'm not riding, I enjoy golfing. Uh, one of the few things that people can do right now. Exactly. And today's just a beautiful day that if I wasn't here with you, I'd probably try <laughs> to sneak out on a Friday afternoon and, yeah. and uh, go do that. So, no, enjoy that. And um, it's trying to hit that little ball, and it's kind of a you versus the ball thing, and it's nobody else's fault. It's just you if you don't do it right. I am horrible at golf. Are you? <laughs> uh, there, there was one year I tried. I took a summer with a friend of mine, and I said, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and get good at golf this summer," and played a lot. Um, you know, I, we actually they had a deal up at Raccoon Creek up here where, mm -hmm. you know, you got some lessons, you got, um, you know, a bunch of tee times, and played a bunch of golf, and I, I got, you know, marginal <clears throat> like, like <laughs> the smallest margin you can make. I got better. And I was like, Did you break right. 100? Um, I, most of the time, uh, I th I've broken 100 a couple times. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, the, the other thing, it's um, golf is great when you're good at it. Yeah. It's like, you know, you can go play around in a reasonable amount of time. Um, if you're bad at golf, it just takes forever. True. You know, it and does. Uh, uh, that's. So it's, it'd be nice if I could just be good at golf and then enjoy playing golf, but uh, and not that I don't enjoy hitting the ball around, but it's just a, it, like any hobby we have, right? It takes time. It does take time. And I enjoyed it when I was in Georgia. Um, I was looking for just some side work, and um, I lived down the street from a golf course. And mm. so I said, "Hey, you got any jobs?" He's like, uh, "What are you doing Saturday and Sunday morning about five o'clock?" I'm like, "I'm used to getting up early." I'm, yeah. yeah, sure. What? He's like. Um, cutting greens and cutting tee boxes mm. and I got to play as much golf as I wanted to nice so that's kind of where my golf game took off and of course I got some advice and some tips you know, sure. from the pro here and there and so that's really to your point you got to play yeah and that's where I learned a lot of fundamentals and um, I, I can I can not play for six months pick up a club and easily hit 90-95 yeah so not great right for for not playing and being an amateur you know but. I think it's one of those things too I didn't play golf a whole lot when I was a kid yeah um, uh, you know a few times yeah but it, I think it's one of those things where if you if you get the kind of muscle memory early mm -hmm. like you develop a couple of those good habits when you're young yeah then you can you can take that with you forever um, and I didn't do that so it, it's a lot harder <laughs> I think as an adult to try and uh, get all that coordination down. I have so. found that, um, you know, a lot of business, pardon me, business and sales guys uh, use golf as a means for yep. communication, negotiation. Um, I found that even within security, uh, when I'm doing information security compliance, you have opportunities to go, let's go play some golf and kind of back to that point of building relationship, breaking the ice, and um, especially with the business now. Um, I think more so now, it's more important for us as practitioners to really understand business. 
what are we protecting? Why do we need to do what we're doing and get their buy-in, right? Because yeah. you want to be, um, as I took this job, one of the interview questions was, why should we hire you? Why do we need this? And it was, I sold it as an enabling function for sales team. And it's worked out that way. Yeah. Um, be, because of the nature of, you know, API integrations and whatnot. And people, you know, really sensitive about their data being secure and passing through. So, but it all started with a hobby, you know, right. using that to build a relationship, to open that door for them as well as me, for me to really understand the business, to understand what am I doing. Yeah. Well, and um, to my point before, you know, golf is one of the few social things that, you know, we're, quote, allowed to do sure. right now because it's outside. You can yes. distance from people. So, um, I, you know, I think people need to take the opportunity to go play golf just because it gets you outside <laughs> and, and you can be around other people just for sanity's sake, right? Yes, you know? exactly. Exactly. And enjoy it so much. Cool. Well, uh, we're just about out of time, Ed. Anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to touch on? No, I, I've really enjoyed it. And I think it's the the opportunity for um, us as peers to really just dive in to get to know other practitioners and see yeah. what's going on. And um, I really appreciate the time. It's been fun uh, listening to the podcast and uh, enjoying just the different conversations. Awesome. Well, thanks, Ed. Appreciate Thank you. your time. And like you said, you're on the Slack channel. If uh, anybody wants to talk to Ed, uh, just jump out on the Slack channel and hit him up. Let me know. So awesome. Thanks. Thank you. This has been Colorado Equal Security, and we'll talk to you next time. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado Equals Security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado Equals Security.